be with me where I am. And I was once asked to take the funeral of a man who had left church when they changed their Bible version from many mansions to many rooms because he felt he was being hard done by. And he didn't go back to church. Uh, they wanted his funeral taken by somebody who would use the word mansions. So when I read John 14, I said, in my father's house are many mansions, <laughs> hoping that the corpse heard that and was encouraged. Well, I uh, had a lovely stepmother, Roman Catholic, uh, a genuine Christian. She was um, 89, still a meticulous housekeeper. Every speck of dust was identified, measured, interrogated, and exterminated. And you, when you went there, you kind of had to stand to attention and uh, not leave a, a dirty mark anywhere. Otherwise, you would be interrogated and <laughs> possibly exterminated as well. Anyway, she was suddenly taken to hospital at 89, thought she was going to die. I went to visit her. I read uh, John 14 and I said to her, uh, when, when it's the right time for you to die, Jesus will come and take you by the hand and lead you to his heavenly father. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, he said but I want to get home to clean the house first <laughs> because she'd been rushed to hospital, you see, and there was cleaning undone. This was the big issue for her. But I said to her, as I love saying to believers who are dying, you're perfectly safe in God's hands now. You're perfectly safe in God's hands as you go through the process of dying, however unpleasant it is, and you're perfectly safe in God's hands and his love for eternity. What a wonderful thing to be able to say, isn't it? Jesus will take us to the Father. First sermon, second point. Jesus has revealed the Father. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? even after I've been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Well, those who saw Jesus, we who see Jesus, we know his works and his words, and if we know what Jesus is like, we know what God is like. When we see Jesus' heart and love, we know God's heart and love. When we hear Jesus' words, and his works, see his works, we know the words and works of God. When we see Jesus' kindness and love, it's God's kindness and love we see. When we see Jesus' mercy and forgiveness, that's the mercy and forgiveness of God. So we shouldn't think that Jesus is a kind of friendly representative of a slightly grumpy God 
Jesus is the kind of PR man, the public relation person for God, who puts on a smiling face where God is actually grumpy. No, we see in Jesus the love and the character of God himself. And Jesus going to the Father means greater works and better prayers. Verses 12 to 14. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything for anything in my name and I will do it. Well, that's a great opportunity, isn't it? How about breakfast in bed, I reckon? (laughs) It's a bit hard to know what it means, isn't it, to be honest? Uh, I mean, Jesus did some mighty... Raising the dead, for example, that's... It's a bit hard to beat raising the dead, isn't it? What greater works could we do? And does he really mean that if I ask for anything, I'll get it? Is... uh, Jesus, like a benevolent Santa Claus who always gives what you want. My experience of Santa Claus was that he very, very, very rarely got a, gave me what I want. I don't call a pair of socks a great thrill. <laughs> that was the first sermon. Did you hear it? Good. Okay. Here's the second sermon. It's a bit like going and buying a fridge or something like that. They show you two fridges, they're both white. They both have doors. They both have engines. And they've both got things inside you can put things on. And you'll try and work out the difference between them. So, what's the difference between... There'll be a quiz, by the way. I didn't tell you about the quiz, did I? Two sermons and a quiz. What's the difference between the two sermons? start again do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me my father's house have many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am you know the way to the place I am going let's begin with Do not be troubled. Why would the disciples be troubled? Well, uh, the previous chapter, chapter 13, verse 21, Jesus said, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. That must have struck a little fear in their hearts. Someone betrayed Jesus and who would it be? Verse 33 of chapter 13. My little children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. No wonder the disciples were troubled. 
Jesus was going away, one of them would betray him and Peter would deny him. And what does this going away mean? Chapter 14, verse 15, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to be help you and be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Or 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Or again, verse 28 of chapter 14, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Or chapter 16, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the Advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, that's all a bit confusing, isn't it? Lots of coming and going. It is confusing because actually there are two goings and two comings. The first going is when he dies but then is raised again and the first coming is when he comes back from the dead and appears to them. And the second going is when he ascends to heaven and the second coming is when he returns at the end. So there are two goings. It must have been very confusing for them, mustn't it? He's going to go and die, rise and come back, go and send the Spirit and come back at his second coming. Uh, Very hard to understand and I think very disturbing. I mean, is he going or is he, is he coming or going? Uh, what's actually happening? I think the teaching would have left them really confused, actually, and, and, and unable to understand what was happening. It was meant to be an encouragement. I think it must have been very confusing. But also disturbing that he was to be betrayed and disowned by his friends at his going away. His going away would be going to the cross. And this was exactly opposite what the Jews expected of their Messiah. Uh, The popular view of the Messiah was that he wouldn't be deleted, but he would win. And Jesus was going to die uh, and failed even with just a few supporters. And, And anyway, what use is a dead Messiah? So what then does Jesus mean when he says to the disciples, I will come again and take you to myself. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. The preparation for the place is his death and resurrection. And he will take all his disciples to himself when he returns on the last day. So here's assurance not just for individuals but for God's people in every age that although Jesus has gone he will return and one day gather his elect from the four corners of the world.
Jesus has revealed the Father. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus says. Don't you believe I am in the Father, the Father is in me? The works I say to you, I don't speak in my own authority. It's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So, the disciples are to believe because they've seen Jesus and heard his words and seen his works. But you and I are too late, aren't we, to have seen the glory of Jesus. We didn't hear his words. We didn't see his works. When John says in John chapter 1, we beheld his glory, glory as the only son of the Father, well, they did, but we didn't. Do you see the point? What we have in John's Gospel is the record of Jesus' life and his words and his works. And as Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And that's you. And that's me. We haven't seen him and yet we believe. And Jesus says, that's more blessed, actually. So we often think, if only I'd been around when Jesus was around, then I'd have a really solid faith. Well, actually, if you look at the disciples who were around when Jesus was around, they didn't have a really solid faith. Indeed, one was about to betray him and one disown him. But the record of the words and works of Jesus is sufficient for us to have stable, strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John says later in the Gospel, these things are written and that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. Don't ever envy them. Rejoice in what God has given us knowing that we can have our strong faith in him. Jesus going to the Father means greater works and better prayers. Very truly, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You ask, you ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Well, the key phrase there is, I am going to the Father. How did Jesus go to the Father? Answer, by his death and his resurrection and ascension. By dying in our place, by rising again, and then by ascending to the Father. And what's the result of Jesus going to the Father, what are the greater works? Well, if you read through John's Gospel, there are some keys. I just think of uh, chapter 1. He came, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That is, his own people, Jewish people. But to all who received him, 
he gave the authority to become children of God. And when you read through John's Gospel, you can see his own not receiving him, but you're left with the question, who are the all who are going to receive him and have authority to become children of God? Well, there's another clue in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist, that is, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Not the people of God, but the world. Or John 3.16, our lovely memory verse. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or Jesus, the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. Chapter 10, I have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen. Who could the other sheep be who are not of this sheep pen? Well, the answer is they're the non-Jews. They're the Gentiles who fill the rest of the world. Or chapter 11, verse 32, Well, I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, that is, when I'm lifted up, Jesus says, on the cross and then uh, to heaven, I will draw all people to myself. So the greater works are taking the gospel to all the world. Jesus didn't just die for his own people, he died for all nations, people of every nation, tribe and language. Now, there were some non-Jews who came to faith in Christ. Who can remember one in John's Gospel? John's Gospel, somebody who wasn't a Jew who became a follower of Christ. A leper? Oh, sure. Was that in John's Gospel? No, sure. Edited out. The Samaritan woman. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, You get a cookie afterwards (laughs) if someone provides one. (laughs) Very good. But one is not a lot, is it, really? There were were two more, as a matter of fact, but that's okay. That doesn't matter. So the greater things the disciples will do is to take the gospel to the whole world. And the greater prayers? I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. Now, that's a lovely phrase. We use the name of Jesus when we pray, don't we? We say... Dear Heavenly Father, you know, I've got a cold to have this week or something like that. Please help me get through it and ask this prayer in Jesus' name. That's a great thing to do because we do come to the Father through Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me. So it's good when we pray to remind ourselves that we're only able to approach God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. But to ask something in Jesus' name is not just to use his name, it is to ask something which serves his name, which reflects the purpose of his name, Jesus, which is Saviour. The purpose of his name, Christ, the Messiah. The purpose of his name, Lord, that is, the ruler. That is, to ask things in Jesus' name is to ask Jesus in Jesus' name things which reflect the character of God 
and God's saving plan for the whole world. The greater works and the greater prayers are the works that Christian believers have done and Christian believers have prayed ever since the time of the disciples. Okay, what was the difference between the two sermons? The second one was a bit more boring, wasn't it? But I tried to put some humour in to keep you going. What was the difference? That's a quiz. This is now a quiz. I'm now the quiz master. What happened in the second sermon? Please don't say, I fell asleep. (laughs) Pamela. Yes, it's a bigger picture, isn't it? It's not just how it affects me, but what, uh, what was happening to them. Uh, so it's a bigger question that way, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's a bit like the great question when you're studying uh, literature. The difference between asking, how do I feel about this, and what was the poet trying to communicate? And how did that happen? Thank you, Pamela, for that great answer. How did it happen in the second sermon? Yes, that's right, it is. It's grounded in history. It's grounded, and how did I do that? By grounding it in the book, didn't I? So all the quotations from the rest of John's Gospel were grounding it in the book and so grounding it in history and so grounding it in the people who were there to whom Jesus was actually speaking. That's right. So it's, um, it's kind of delayed gratification, isn't it? You have to think, what did it mean then? And then ask the question, so what does it mean for us now? That's right. So a friend of mine went to a church in, uh, in New Zealand uh, and began teaching his way through, I forget what, what book of the Bible it was, but somebody said to him after six, six months, uh, you're asking a different question. We used to ask, what does the Bible passage mean to me? You're asking the question, what does the Bible passage mean? And then what does it mean to us today? That's right. So what happens is, All we're doing was actually just reading John 14 in the context of the whole Gospel. And that's the difficulty with just reading a bit of the Bible, isn't it? And not thinking about the whole book in which it occurs. So if you ask, what was John trying to communicate? The answer is, the whole of his Gospel. And we should read it as a whole and try and work out how the different bits fit together. So, I quoted, uh, he came to his own and his own received him not... From chapter 1, to all who received him, he gave authority to become children of God. Well, we should be thinking all the way through, when's this going to happen? 
We know that we see the first bit easily, don't we? His own people don't receive him, but when's the other bit going to happen? When he talks about the, the other sheep he has from another pen, when's that going to happen? And that's where we're heading towards in the last part of the Gospel. So, don't be troubled by the absence of Jesus. Don't be troubled or distressed by the absence of Jesus. You're quite right to think if Jesus returned, then everything would be sorted out. That is quite right. But remember where Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. Who is running this world? The answer is Jesus is even now, even in the midst of our mess. So don't be frightened, troubled by the absence, it looks like the absence of Jesus because we can't see him. And don't be troubled by the weakness of his followers. One betrayed him, Peter disowned him, they all forsook him. And if you look around the world today, you might say to yourself, well actually Jesus' followers don't always get full marks for their following of Jesus. But don't be troubled by that. Jesus knows those who are his and will keep those who are his. Jesus has revealed the Father. Yes, And we find Jesus and his words and his works in the Bible. And as he says in John's Gospel, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us. Finally, Jesus going to the Father means greater works and better prayers. I heard at the Church Missionary Society Summer Conference that there are 7 billion people in the world of whom 2 billion, it's a lot of people, 2 billion, have no access to the Gospel of Christ, to a Bible, to a church, to a Christian. It's a lot, isn't it? And yet Jesus died for the world. So what are we doing about God's global gospel plan? I hope you're taking the opportunity to speak of Christ to your friends. I hope that you're praying for friends who aren't yet Christians to become Christians. I hope you're praying and giving money to support St Jude's mission partners. I hope you've joined a missionary society. I hope you've asked God to put one country on the world in your heart to pray for. I hope you regularly pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers for his harvest. I hope that you consider whether you should train and prepare to be a full-time worker in that harvest in Australia or overseas. And if it's not you, then you're encouraging somebody else who you think it ought to be. 
and I hope you're praying with full confidence and hope that people from every nation, tribe, language and people would come before the Lamb and worship him for he has redeemed them. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to be the saviour of the world. We thank you that you've included us among your people. Please give us a heart for those who don't know you, not just people we know, but people we don't know all around this world. And please give us a passion for your glory so that we pray and give and serve that you may be known as the saviour of this world. In your name we pray. Amen.